We're going to be getting into 2 Samuel chapter 6 today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we've been talking about worship, but more so that we are, it's, it more, it's, worship is not something that we just do, but that actually is who we are. And really everything about the kingdom of God really is this, because the kingdom is really about who we are in Him, who He is, and who we are in Him, not so much as a whole bunch of things that we have to do. Amen. And, and what it means to be a worshiper, it, we are worshipers, okay, right? Because the first, the first text that we started with, I'm going to take us way back to the first series, and I've referenced it since. And you can jot it down and look at it later if you want, but I just want to reference John 4. And when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he said, the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. (laughs) That's a good word, huh? Yes, he said, the Father wants such people to worship him. What kind of people? Worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. (laughs) That's what he wants. Another translation says, and, and such he seeks. I love that. There's actually this element that God is looking, looking for worshipers. Isn't it an amazing thought that you, that you can be the one that when God lays eyes on you, he says, you're the one I'm looking for. And the fact is, it's true about all of us. You're the one he's looking for. We, we used to talk about how we wanted to make t-shirts that would say, you can't, you can't love God like I can. And, uh, and it would be a, a great uh, conversation stirrer, you know. And on the back, you know, if you wanted to be nice, you could put, I can't love God like you. And because the idea is, is that you have something to give to God, your own heart, your own worship. It's amazing. It's so unique. And so valuable to the Father that if, if Steve doesn't give it to God, I can never give that to God and neither can you. And there will be a place in God's heart that says, oh, I love when my children worship me. And he's so fulfilled and he's overflowing. And yet God at the same time has the ability to long for the worship that is missing from his choir, if you will. And, and he's looking for his family to be full, right? But, but isn't it amazing that you have something? You know, you could come in and you could say, well, I don't sing well. I don't have a good voice. I'm not, I don't have a lot of rhythm, whatever it may be. But, but although those are expressions of worship, and we're going to get into that today. The idea is that the incense of your heart, this worship, that is authentic, true. That's what it means in truth. It's authentic worship. I like this because that means I don't have to just be God's fair weather friend. Authentic means in whatever state I'm in. I can be discouraged. I can be sad. I can be grieving. I can be broken. I can be on top of the world. Having my best day floating on cloud nine. And it doesn't matter because when I bring my heart to him in whatever state I'm in, he says, that's what I'm looking for. Because I just, I just want to be with you. He loves us so much. Isn't that powerful? Does that encourage anybody? 
It encourages me. It encourages me. And, um, you know, Psalm 53, one of my favorite verses, says that God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek him. It's amazing. So when he sees you worshiping, seeking God, worshiping him, he says, you get it. You get it. You understand. It's amazing. <laughs> And so he said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Praise God. And we, re- and we talked about, remember, that that has to do with freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So ultimately, we're going to look here at chapter 6 in Second Samuel. And we are going to see in David's life a freedom of expression, a freedom of worship. That he would demonstrate in his life. Amazing. David. King David. He was a king. A priest. Right? And, um, and so here we go. Let's read this. And, and we're going to read it. And then we're going to give a little context in the story. And then make the point today about freedom of worship. And what that can look like. It can look like almost anything. That's, that's the spoiler. But here we go. David again assembled all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. 30,000. Can you just imagine just walking in a group of 30,000? He, and imagine what that looks like, okay? Like, how long is that on the road? Okay. I didn't realize anyone would actually have the answer. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God uh, from Baal, Judah. The ark is called... By the name, the name of Yahweh of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. (laughs) They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, son of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and um, and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of firwood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cisterns, and cymbals. It's quite a scene. Verse 6, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and God struck him dead. On the spot for his irreverence. What you have to understand is that this ark was literally the symbol and actually the actual tangible presence of God in Israel. So where the ark was, when it says that he dwells between the cherubim, that is actually in reference to something that is a true reality in the heavenlies, but but that it was created in the ark. So the ark was built to represent a reality that's true in the heavens. And on the top of the ark where there were two cherubim, their wings would touch in the middle. There was a mercy seat. And there, and it would, that would be in the Holy of Holies. And God would literally dwell there. It was such a serious and strong presence of the Lord that um, it was serious business. Only once a year, high priests could go in there. And, and he went in there really... There was a lot of preparation going in and uh, because really his life was on the line <laughs> back then. 
They didn't have the blood of Jesus to enter freely. Aren't you glad that we can just go in freely now? Actually, what's even deeper than that is that it's not something we go in. It's, it's that he actually came into us. We became the ark of God. We became the actual dwelling place of the Most High. And yet the reality is that we still experience the presence of God stronger at times than others. Isn't that true? Namely in worship. And verse 6, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating. Okay. Um, so verse 8, David was angry. David's an interesting fellow. David was angry uh, because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place an outburst against Uzzah, as it is this day. David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of God ever come to me? So if you can just identify with David for a minute, there's nothing David loved more than the presence of God. It was his heart's desire. David cultivated something in the field. As a young shepherd boy, he was a worshiper and he took care of the sheep and he had a harp. And out there in the back country with the sheep, he learned to be a shepherd and later became a shepherd of God's people. But what set him up for his kingship was the fact that he had a heart of worship towards God. And so David, since he was a boy, knew God from those from those days out there in the country with the sheep. And, and if you could imagine him worshiping, cultivating this heart relationship with God, where he knew God, where he had seen God give him victory over the lion, over the bear. And he would be out there and he would worship God. And so he was a lover of the presence of God. So, so, and, and so at this point, he was celebrating. Boy, they were dancing, playing their instruments. And why? Because the ark is coming to be with me. God is going to be with us. And they're worshiping. And now he's just, he's faint hearted. He's, he's completely discouraged because at this point he's literally going, how can it actually even happen? He was afraid. So he was not willing to move the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I've never thought of this before, but, don't, but have, have you ever seen this? Maybe if you had, just give me a signal. Maybe you thought of this. I never had until recently that what happened here was David is like bringing the ark back. A guy touches it, dies. I can't ever bring it to my house. Hey, Obed, eat him. You want to keep something for me? Yeah, I got, you know, I got a job for you, buddy. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't touch it, but, um, but I just never saw it that way. It's like, I can't bring it to my house. Put it over to Edom's house. And let's just go. Let's just go. And, um, and, so, <laughs> and then, so the ark of the Lord remained in this house three months. And the Lord blesses Obed-Edom and his whole family. So it's reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. <laughs> this is awesome. He's just like, oh, you didn't die? Oh, they're blessed? Let's go get it. You know, 
That was his test, I guess. And so um, when those carrying the ark noticed this, now they're carrying the ark, which probably most of you know, there were actually specific instructions given to the priests on how they would carry the ark with poles on foot and only certain people could carry it, couldn't just be anybody. And um, and so he sacrificed. So when they moved, so here they are carrying it. When they moved six steps, they stopped and he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. Yeah, it was a bloody situation there. And but I'll tell you what's amazing. There's something I'm just going to mention this as a note. and We could unpack this much more later down the road, but. There's something that was different about David's worship now. He had a reverence towards the Lord now. If, and, and I imagine he had one before, but boy, I tell you, he had a reverence now. They're like, let's go pick it up. Everybody, here we go. Six stop, six steps, stop, sacrifice right here. And you could see this. One of the things that when you are hosting the presence of God in your own life or as a community is that, you know what happens? You slow down. You slow down a little bit. And David was paying attention. And so he sacrificed. David was dancing with all his might now before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. That's a priestly garment. The king was wearing a priestly garment. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of ram's horn, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michael looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing from the Lord. This was his wife, Saul's daughter Michael. And she despised him in her heart. She was disgusted. She was embarrassed. He's out there worshiping the Lord in his linen. <laughs> This is the king of Israel flailing about the word there when it says that he was worshiping actually is a specific Hebrew word and it means to whirl and dance. Now, you probably didn't see very many kings do this in public. Probably not today and definitely probably not back then. So this was unusual behavior for a king. But she despised him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent of David and set it up for, um, and uh, set it up for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings for the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts. And he distributed to everybody a loaf of bread, a date cake and a raisin cake. I was thinking, like, there must have been carts of food. You know what else it tells me is that David had been preparing. David had been preparing for this moment. He thought, if we are going to usher in the presence of God with worship, and the glory of God is going to come and dwell among us, boy, we got some preparations to do. You know? And, and so people are going home feasting. With bread, dates, and, and raisins. Which in that day was the equivalent of like a fish food Ben and Jerry's. You know, it was like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it, 
You didn't have ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Dessert was like dates and raisins. These are some of the delicacies. These are kingly treats. Then all the people left, each to his own home. David returned home uh, to bless his household. So he's coming home to bless. And his wife, Saul's daughter, uh, came out to meet him. And she says, how the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girl's of this, of his subjects, like a vulgar person would expose himself. David replied to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father. It sounds like such a burn. Like, it sounds like, it, it, at first it does, but watch, we're going to turn, we're going to see something here in a minute. I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will humble myself even more and humiliate myself. I will be honored by the slave girls you spoke about and Saul's daughter Michal had no children to the day of her death. You know, I've always read that verse as like, she's like, well, put him down. She's disgusted with him and he's like, God chose me over your dad. So, you know, and but you know what? I actually really believe. And if I'm going to look at David's heart in context, when I really read this, you know what he's actually saying to Michal, I believe. And I really do believe this is what he's saying. God chose me. He chose me. And I believe in this context, David had never lost track of who he where he had come from. Some believe that David was actually an illegitimate son. Some scholars believe that. And that possibly the reason he was out in the field is that his father was actually ashamed of him when Samuel came around. And he's like, hey, one of your sons is going to be king. And he's like, this is all of them. This is all of them. And, and he's like, and there's possible that David was actually illegitimate. That it, was, that it, that it spoke of a fault of Jesse, of a mistake. And of a shame of Jesse. So he leaves him out there. So here's possibly David now as king. And he was maybe an illegitimate son. A lot of scholars believe that's true. And, and, and his father was at least ashamed of him. At least among his brothers. He was the last one called. And then he was chosen. And, and everyone else was more handsome. Stronger. Older. First in line. Age was a big deal back then. And David's like, I was just taking care of the sheep. You know, I was just out there. I had nobody. I had nothing. I had some sheep and I had God and he was my friend and I was worshiping him out there. And, and I believe in this context right here that this worshiper, David, was was I just wonder, I just wonder if his heart was just bursting in that moment with Michal. That I wonder if he was grieved in his heart that his wife actually couldn't realize how worthy God was to be worshiped. And that she actually had no regard whatsoever that the ark of God, there's only one in all the earth, had come home to be among them. And what this meant, that this meant that God himself was dwelling amongst his people. And so now when they worship God, they're worshiping in the presence of God. When they go out, I mean, there's victory in their life. There is blessing. This is God in their midst. And she doesn't even care. She 
I don't know if he, even if she was to the point of not caring. It was just like she had, you know, she had ears that couldn't see and eyes. She had, well, I have ears that can't see. But, but, but she had eyes that couldn't see, ears that couldn't hear. Her heart was dull. It was dull to the things of God. She didn't even care about those things. The only thing she cared about was her dignity. And I wonder if she even cared about how David looked. It was probably about how it reflected on her. You know, anybody ever may have been unnerved by someone else's passion? Have you? Be honest, I have. And like where it's like what I've learned is nowadays, if I ever feel unnerved by someone else's passion for the Lord, I lean into it because I'm like, I need it. I need to be next to you. If you can make me feel that way, I need to be next to you. I'm jealous for where you are. When your heart is towards God, I'm jealous, you know. And, it, and, it, and the thing is, too, is that if we don't lean towards it, sometimes we're tempted. It's like you almost can't be neutral when you're exposed to passion. When you're, especially when it's passion for worship towards God. You can't be neutral. It, it affects you somehow. So you've either got to move toward it or you want to insulate yourself and protect you from it because you, you either have to yield or move back because it's uncomfortable. It's frankly uncomfortable. Anybody ever watch Todd White? <laughs> making guy, guy will make you so uncomfortable. You know, if you can be made uncomfortable, you guys remember Chris. Chris Overstreet was here. Chris is one of those people. He doesn't make me uncomfortable anymore. But I, but I, but we used to hang out and and man, I feel like uncomfortable in a good way. I didn't ever dislike it, but it was just like, man, Chris. There's not too many people I hang out with can make me kind of uncomfortable. You do. Which means I want to hang out with you more. Because I need that. Anyway. And so Michal is offended. And that's what happens when you begin to distance yourself. And you, you, you get offended. And, and, and she's looking down her nose at David. And she's despising him. And I just believe in that moment. David isn't actually being haughty and saying, yeah, well, God chose me over your dad. I don't think that's what David's saying at all. I think David is saying, God chose me, and I actually still don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why, but but he did. I was just this kid out there in the field worshiping God. And he spoke to me out there and he gave me victories out there. And I love him. I love him more than anybody else. And I don't care. I don't care who doesn't like me. Who is uncomfortable because I was dancing. Because I'll tell you why I will look that way in front of other people. Because he chose me. And without him, I am nothing. I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be the king. I'd be a shepherd. And in fact, I probably would have got killed by that lion or that bear. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. So if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. But I will look more ridiculous than that. (laughs) Because he is worthy. And it just rocks my world. And you know, the scary part is that it says of Michal that she was barren for the rest of her days. Now, that could be 
Because David, I never thought of it this way. It could be because the Lord didn't bless the womb. It could also be because David said, I'm actually not going to see you anymore. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened there. And I'm not going to dig into that. We don't know. But I will say this. No matter which of those two things it was, because it, it was one or the other, I can guarantee that. And um, <laughs> we, have, we have four kids. So, but, um, but uh, I, I, can, I can guarantee it was one or the other. But here's the simple fact. David knew something that fruit comes from intimacy. Intimate worship produces fruit in our lives. And that's ultimately what God is looking for. I seek worshipers. <laughs> Who's one of those? Come on. And, and I just want to run through. This is some practical stuff here, okay? There's, there's, um, I mentioned that David, when he, when, he, when he whirled about, he was literally, he was just flailing about. And, he, and it, was like some, it was like his garments were just flying open and he's dancing. And I'm sure he was... You know, I don't know, but, but, um, he was undignified and, um, and so there are seven words. Here's what's interesting. How many have ever, uh, there's seven words. Let me finish my sentence for you. I know it's so bad. So there are seven words in Hebrew for praise that's translated praise in the Psalms. Now we get ripped off. A little when we don't dig in because we just go praise, praise the Lord. And we're like, okay, well, praise the Lord. But do you realize that actually just saying praise the Lord is a form of praise, but it's not really like praising the Lord is more than just saying praise the Lord. I mean, praise the Lord. I'm just telling you to praise him, I guess. No, I'm, you get what I'm saying. There's seven words that mean to praise God. Seven different acts of worship. And I, and I think this is powerful because in the New Testament, we have a greater freedom under the new covenant because we have the spirit of God living inside of us. And there's liberty, freedom in us. And yet even us as spirit filled, born again, children of God, worshipers, we sometimes get uncomfortable with other people's expressions of worship. You know, like when I was a teenager, I remember like really stepping out, you know. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to raise my hands right now. Oh, it's like, you know, it's like while you're raising your hands, you almost can't even worship because all you're thinking about is the fact that I'm raising my hands. People, I wonder if people are looking at me right now. I'm uncomfortable, you know, and then you kind of get over it. And you're like, all right. And, um, you know, or you invite your friend to church, you know, and you're like, if I raise, I always raise my hands, but if I raise my hands today, Will I, like, offend my friend? And You know you've thought it before. Come on. And, and um, I just believe that when we bring people into the house of God, it, it, we really shouldn't be uncomfortable that they experience something that maybe makes them a little uncomfortable. Right? Because they're in the house of God. God's here. Hey, he does, he does amazing things. I mean... All right. We don't have to apologize for him. So let's go through this. We're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this. I just want to read these to you and then make a point. And we're going to close. There's a word called halal. It's a word for hallelujah. 
It means to be clear, to praise, to shine, to boast. It's bragging about God. To show, to rave, to celebrate. It's, it's clamorously foolish. Isn't this powerful? It's cla- we don't want to be foolish. Well, it's clamorously foolish. There's another word called yara. It's a, this is a verb. It means to extend the hands, to throw out the hands, to worship with extended. It means to lift your hands. And a lot of people think, well, that's just something that charismatic Christians came up with. You know, raise your hands, raise your hands and worship. But actually, this, these, this is in Hebrew tradition. This was the Hebrew people, the Israelites, all understood. And here's the amazing thing, that... That these are actually acts of worship and praise in and of themselves. Isn't that amazing? Not just sing and raise your hands. Literally, this is, this is an act of praise. This is worship. Isn't that amazing? It's in the Bible. Toda. Toda means an extension of the hand in adoration or acceptance. By way of application, it's apparent in the Psalms that elsewhere, uh, it means that they were thanking God. Check this out. Putting your hands out. Some people thought this just came with renewal. More Lord. Right? Putting the hands out, it says, I love this, check it out. It says, Thanking God for things not yet received. Isn't that powerful? As well as things already in hand. So there's this, you can just, this is actually, isn't this amazing? These are God's ideas. I know. You know what's amazing is lots of you have had these expressions where you felt led by, like, why am I doing this in worship? You know, like, and, and what you're, and then what you find out is you're like, the spirit was leading me and wow, it's actually right here. It's fun, right? Psalm 50, 14 says, offer unto God praise and pay the vows unto, unto the most high. That's this one. All right. Uh, Shabbat. It means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. Right? Clap your hands. All you people shout in the God with the voice of time. So if you grew up in church, you knew that one. And um, uh, number five, Barak. Okay? To kneel down. To bless God as an act of adoration or salute. Literally kneeling. So when we talk about freedom, this is a house of freedom. We are worshipers. So when we worship corporately and individually, but when we come together corporately, there's a freedom in this house to express yourself before God. And you get to be as free as you want to be. You know, amazing. But freedom doesn't always mean that you have to be the loudest. It means that if you want to just kneel before the Lord, because who knows what's happening? Like Oftentimes in corporate worship, we all get caught up into what God himself is doing. That's what happens ultimately. We usher him in, and there's lots of different expressions. And then 
there's always going to be some of that individual expression throughout the room, right? Some people might be shouting and someone else just be laying flat down on the ground because they're like, this is, God's doing something with me right now. And I know everybody's shouting, but I'm just laying here with my face to the ground and I feel like I shouldn't get up because I'm just in awe and reverence of God and I'm quiet and everyone's shouting, but I'm quiet. That's okay. That's freedom. To kneel down. Okay, zamar. It means to pluck the strings of an instrument. Come on, how many musicians in the room? Isn't it amazing that you can play? It says, now I believe David played and sang because he was a psalmist. He wrote songs. But I bet you he just played his heart. I bet the strings themselves were just the worship. You know, a lot of people are like, I just play guitar and really sing. Man, when you when you just play that unto the Lord, isn't that amazing? You can just be back there on bass on the worship team, and you're like, that there's just a fragrance of worship. Pluck the strings of an instrument. And it also means to sing, to praise, a musical word, which is largely involving with uh, it means a joyful expression of music. And the last one, tehila. Right. Not the counterfeit. Tahila. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and so it's, it means that singing of halals, it means to sing or to laud, perceived to involve music, especially singing. So all these expressions are expressions of worship, freedom of worship. And when we come into the house of God, Well, you're the house of God, but this is still a house of God. When we come here and we gather, it becomes the house of God when you and I get here. How about that? Because we're all assembled. And 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 when we're in this place of worship, this is something that I see just happening. Just a continued eruption of the worship of our king. He is enthroned in our praises. And, you know, he just delights. In the freedom of his children. Do you know when, you're, when your kids are just expressing themselves freely in a healthy way? And even more so when it's toward you as a parent. How much more God. The fact that we are created for this purpose. And, and, um, and I just want to encourage you that, you know... I don't know about you, but I don't want to live. I don't. I don't want to live my life being influenced by what somebody else thinks about me, and especially not when it comes to the worship of the one who saved me, the one who bled and died for me, the one who died for me, who purchased me. You know. And so, like you're in love with your with your spouse, you know. What if somebody's like, "I heard you telling them how much you love it, made me really uncomfortable." Be like, well, warning, it's going to happen a lot more. So <laughs> you might want to protect yourself, you know, <laughs> but. But, would you stand all over the room, please?
like land this plane. But I tell you, what moves me is that that heart of David. Think about it. You know, we we all we all have. Everybody desires to have dignity, right? And I think there's a level of healthy human dignity that God actually wants us to have. But when it's a dignity that protects my ego, that never serves me well. Because that's something, man, I've got to maintain that thing nonstop. And that is the part where, you know, when I look at a king, when I look at King David, because all of us can relate to King David, can't we? Why am I sitting in this room alive to God and someone else isn't? Because I was more holy than them? More righteous than somebody else out there who's not walking with God yet? Is it because I'm better than anybody in some way? No. No. I mean, there's, if you were, I don't even know how to evaluate people, but in some way there's probably a lot of better people than me. I don't know. Like, you know, there's probably better people than me out there who don't know God. But, but here we are. We're in here. Chosen. Chosen by Him. Loved by Him. And I can relate to David. When I think about my up, when I, like where I come from, we're just normal people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, but yet God, I encountered God. He reveals himself to me and you, and we're in love with him, and we're his worshipers, we're his children. Here we are today. Why? I don't know. So when I think of that, I'm like, if a king can dance wildly in a street and look ridiculous in front of all his subjects, don't you think, I'll tell you what, it'd be easy for a king to go, I don't know if anyone's going to want to follow my leadership after today. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to laugh at me and make jokes about the king after today. Looking kind of ridiculous in my linen. Dancing out here in the street. But David's like, you know, today I know I'm the king, but today I'm a priest. Today I'm a worshiper. And and actually, and we're going to close on this, what the king was actually doing that day was truly leading the nation of Israel. And he was saying, this is what we do. <laughs> because without him, where would we be?